Hey everybody, I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. My name is Mitch Schultz and I'm your host. I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. Well, we have been a little slow putting out podcasts recently. Uh, I can't blame COVID for that one. Uh, It has to do with uh, just other obligations and also lining up different interviews. So we should be at a pace again to put out these podcasts every two weeks, hopefully. Uh, But hey, one of the things I'm really interested in is when I go back to my website where I see and kind of gauge and watch the podcast as people are are uh, tuning in and um, hooking up to the website and listening to podcasts. Uh, I'll, I'll find that 30, 40, 50 people are listening to podcasts, the different ones that are uh, on our platform, and that is really encouraging. Uh, but I do want to keep up with new, fresh information. And so that's what this is uh, going to be about today. Um, hey, so really hard topic today, it's, uh, but it's going to be a necessary topic Uh, We're going to be talking about opiate addiction specifically and how the church needs to be aware um, uh, more than I think we are on on that uh, phenomena, reality, struggle. And it's likely that there are a good number of people in your church that struggle with all sorts of addictions, but we don't often just isolate one and talk about that. And that's what we're going to do today. Uh, You're going to find out later in this podcast that this is uh, very personal to me. Uh, as um, I'm actually choosing this podcast to share publicly about my own struggle some years ago with, uh, with dependence on prescription pain medicine and uh, how my family uh, talked to me about it and the timing was just wonderful and just a real healing time. So I'm going to be sharing that story uh, with my guest today on this podcast. Um, well, I love the conversation that uh, we end up having here with uh, myself and Kirk Driscoll on how the church can be a healing community for those who struggle with addiction. And what I like about people like Kirk is he's doing what he's doing because he himself has gone through this. So there's always a lot of credibility, depth, emotion when you talk to people who have struggled with uh, the thing that we're encouraging others to find victory in. Uh, It's very likely, again, as I stated earlier, that you have a number of uh, people in your congregation who struggle with drug addiction, particularly opiate addiction. This is an addiction that does not discriminate. Uh, The stereotypes is this is a down-and-out, poverty-level addiction. It is not at all. You're going to be, I think, surprised to hear that unless you already knew that. And I hope this podcast helps you better reach those who are living in isolation of addiction Uh, but also that it would offer you courage, uh, you, if you are in the midst of this lonely struggle yourself. And of course, during this COVID season, we're hearing statistics that uh, as people are isolated, there's a lot of things they're going to to manage, to uh, stay on top of things emotionally. And um, I I think we're going to be shocked when we come out of this um, to find out how prevalent the, these addictions and particularly pain medicine addiction has been uh, a, a growing prevalent problem. So I know Kirk is going to encourage you as, you, as he shares his own struggle with addiction. And, uh, and the insight that he has gleamed has helped many over uh, this tragic reality. It's certainly been, again, an encouragement to me. Uh, again, my guest today is, is Kirk Driscoll, who lives in Alpharetta, Georgia, with his family. He leads a ministry called Warrior Vision Church. It's a, it's a ministry to 
uh, men who struggle with addiction. And uh, I love their mission page. I'm just going to quote what it says here. It says, first of all, the statistics related to drug overdose on opiates alone is staggering. It is estimated that in 2017, nearly 49,000 people died from overdose caused by opiates alone. And that number is rising. And we're talking about in the U.S. As an American, you and I are more likely to die from an overdose than a car crash or gun violence. The treatment of this affliction is multifaceted. Uh, We believe it should not bankrupt a person or family and that a safe, sober environment should be available to anyone who wants to recover. And this is uh, a needed conversation um, that I'm having with um, someone who's become a friend, Kirk Driscoll. It's amazing how many people I've become good friends with. I've never met with them. I, I talk to guys a lot after two, three years. I, I know them really well through my ministry. We become friends and I'll say, hey, I don't even know how tall you are because all I see is your shoulder up. <laughs> we talk on Skype or Zoom. Uh, so the, the piece that I think is going to be most interesting to me today is to talk about the role that community has in healing of addiction. This, this is an isolated problem, but the healing cannot happen in isolation. So I think you're going to find that to be a theme that we... Uh, we walk through here. So, yep, enough of me yapping. Let's go ahead and join in on this conversation right now. Okay, well, I have the privilege today to talk to someone who I just met, and that seems to happen quite often in my podcast. Uh, Staring at me through the screen here is Kirk Driscoll, lives in Alpharetta, Georgia. Good afternoon, Kirk. I imagine it's raining there like it is here just an hour north of you. Yeah, it, it is raining here, and uh, it's a pleasure to meet you, and, and thank you for this opportunity to share with you today. So thank you. Likewise. Well, just uh, just so you know, as soon as this is done, I'm getting on my bicycle and going for a ride, whether it's raining or not. <laughs> I've, I've become a little obsessed with that. Um, well, listen, speaking of, uh, of obsessions, um, we, this is a topic I've been wanting to cover for some time, and I will be sharing a little later in the podcast that this is also personal to me, uh, but I'll, I'll let that, leave that hanging there. But you were, I was connected uh, to you through a mutual friend. Uh, I've been asking around to talk to someone who uh, has, uh, can talk about opiate addiction, and uh, you have a ministry uh, that helps people uh, who are struggling with this. Uh, before I hear what specifically what you're doing, uh, we're going to start maybe kind of broad here. Uh, but describe that you know opiate addiction, that phenomena, that struggle, the scope. How bad is it? Talk a little bit about what you've seen, and then maybe just flow in that and talk about how you came about doing what you're doing, who you are, what you're doing. Yeah. So let me start with the latter because it. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm, sure. To that for the first part of the question. And so um, I realized that I was powerless to drugs and alcohol um, April 24th, 1995. Mm. And that if I wanted to be freed from this, that I was going to have to surrender that to God of my understanding, as they say in the rooms, which to me is, is Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I grew up in the church, going to church. I got a great family. There was no voids anywhere that would lead me into an addiction in my mm-hmm. environment. It was something that I sought because it was something that made me feel whole and complete. I had this, I had this hole that I was continuously trying to fill 
in, a, in an emotion and a state of being that I was chasing for years mm -hmm. of drug use and alcohol use. And, uh, you know, April 24th, 95, I surrendered to the fact that I cannot, I'm powerless to drugs and alcohol. And that, you know, I had to come to believe that there, that there are power greater myself. Jesus, mm -hmm. Jesus Christ could restore me to sanity, right? And could, could lift this and remove me, uh, this obsession off of me just to continue to self-destruct. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that's a hard place. People have to get to that point. It's not what somebody else wanted of me or for me. I had to make the personal decision that this is what I. Yeah, I, I love how you you describe that you had to surrender the way you're describing it before you surrender to Christ, you surrender to the reality that this was killing you, that this was dangerous. How, how bad did it get for you personally? Well, you know, so me, you know, me and, and here's the interesting thing, you know, is I, I, I was in college. I was the president of my college fraternity and all the way up through my senior year of high school, it was something that I hid. It was, I was not using for recognition I was using for maintenance and using mm -hmm. of, of uh, uh, emotional stability and, mm -hmm. you know, navigate through today. And so really where my recklessness was, was in my use, the, the um, most of my destruction was probably in my selfish possess, you know, uh, my selfish pursuit of happiness. So mm -hmm. it didn't matter what you wanted or what you thought was right. As I was only in a relationship with you, or around you, if I could take something from you that I needed to get what I wanted, mm -hmm. which was basically escape from my reality. And it's yeah, and and that's the really the heart of addiction, isn't it? To try oh. to fill something, and it does become self-absorbing. Yeah, I mean it's 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 that. Um, I mean it's an obsession. I mean you think there's a phenomenon. There's something that happens in the way that that I'm wired and others like me that when it when the taste of it hits my lips, right? Mm -hmm. Or when I've ingested it, there's a phenomenon that happens in me that's unlike my wife, mm -hmm. right? My wife, my wife can order a glass of wine at a nice dinner. And if she takes three or four sips out of it or a half of a glass is left to enter into dinner, it's like, it's not a thing. I'm mm -hmm. thinking it's like, it's why even bother, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and, but it's that reaction that happens. And then I'm just, you, you're off to that race. And, you know, and it's one thing to admit that mm -hmm. it's another thing to, to come to a point in belief that a power greater myself that cry, that Christ can right. Restore me to sanity, right. It is like a accepting the fact that I'm powerless, but then the belief, like I, I've got to have the belief and establish that faith that, that Christ can restore me to sanity. And, and at that point in time, then I have to make that decision to surrender to that, you know, to mm -hmm. give that up that, you know, it's a, it's a, I made a decision to turn my will and my care over to a God of my understanding. And yeah. that, that process is hard to come to for, for most. Some it's probably easier than others, but for me and my personal journey, my, I hadn't lost a wife. I hadn't lost a house. I hadn't lost a business. No. You know, my biggest thing is I was missing, you know, my year as president of my fraternity. I was, you know, forgetting maybe where I parked my car or upsetting girlfriend, not doing as good as I should have done in school. Mm -hmm. But it was the, the destruction that was really there is where we, we often, 
those of us that are in recovery focus on the damage that it's caused that has caused us the loss that we don't have the things that we've lost all of that and we don't really look at the wrath of the destruction of what's happening around us the the mm-hmm. the, the relationships with our family members and our friends and our loved ones and our coworkers and our community members that our effect of our self-destruction is creating disruption for every. Yeah. And, and sometimes that's a turning point. I've seen that uh, in, in my ministry or when I've counseled people who are you know struggling with addiction, it's when they start seeing how it, it's, it's creating a loss uh, that there's a wake up there. Um, well, you know, trans, let's talk a little bit about uh, where that led you to what you're doing now. And, um, and then particularly, uh, you know, let's, uh, again, that first question is probably a little unfair to start. So specifically to describe, you know, particularly, uh, you know, addiction, what that is. And my interest today is to talk as, as best as you can talk about opiate addiction. Was that part of what you struggle with as well? If I can be. No, I, so I, I never got really got exposed to it. Thank goodness. Right. Okay. Um, and that's where we're really kind of where we'll ha- where we're having this conversation, that evolution of, of what's happening today. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, cause you're working, you're working today with people who struggle with addiction. With, tell, tell us a little bit about what you do now. Yeah. So we have over my years in, so April 24th, 1995 is the, the day that I surrender is the last day that I put alcohol or any kind of narcotics in, in, in mm. my body, by the grace mm. of God. And, you know, I, I grew up in a church, and I went in um, to my first 12-step meeting, and, and, you know, back in April of 95. And that's really the, the, the men that surrounded me and the relationships I developed there is really where I first experienced a personal relationship with Christ. That's where I, I personally surrendered my life not just to the belief and understanding that he's there and he wants a relation, you know, wants me to, to walk with him daily, but that dependency upon him for the strength mm-hmm. and the courage to navigate today. And so from that time forward, I, I was, I was told at first meeting that, that they would give me freely what I was looking for, but I had to give it away every day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some days, if you ask my wife, I'll probably take that way too literal. But, <laughs> At the end of the day, 25 plus years later, I'm sober because of what was done for me and what I have the opportunity to do for others today. So I don't, mm-hmm. I don't look at it as a burden of responsibility. I look at it as an opportunity and a joy to be able to share the freedom that I found in Christ and the freedom that I found in the relationship with others. So if you look and navigate over that span of time, I was on boards of other nonprofits that helped individuals start. I spent countless hours meeting with other men that are struggling and meetings and one-on-one sessions and self anything that I could do. I was, I was there because I knew I wanted to keep what I had. I knew, I knew I did not want to go back to the man that I was. I wanted to continue to grow and image what God has in store for me, despite all my character defects, despite Mm -hmm. all my ego and self pride and things that I still fight with, but I've just, I've come to a point to where drugs and alcohol, I know are not a solution to fill a void. It's, a, it's my dependency and willingness to be transparent and open with others. And, you know, one of the biggest voids that I personally saw and seen and feel that are, that are in just kind of, if you look at recovery 
the recovery scene is general or addiction field. Everything that's there is aftercare. You know, mm-hmm. we, we have yeah. unbelievable resources that are being allocated towards prevention and towards detox and treatment. But once that occurs, there's, there's not a ton of resource for aftercare, not in a community setting. And, and what I've seen work so well over my years are we have, you know, communities that are faith-based communities that provide long-term residential care. You know, so you, you walk in the door and they may stay there anywhere from, you know, 30 days, 90 days on the short side up to a year, year and a half in a, in kind of a fishbowl, so to speak, a very protected, very inpatient environment, campus style living. So it's even after that, that the real help is needed, you're saying? Well, I think it's, it's all together. Both, yeah. We could not do what we do without those providers. Yeah. Right, they're really good at that impatient dig down, pull out where everything's going. But then when the doors open, and you've finished your stay there, not everyone, but a good majority of folks, the aftercare and that transition back to managing life on life's terms without the use of drug and alcohol, are is challenging. And so that's the void. So Vision Warriors Church, we we formed in 2017. Wait, what's the, what's the name of the, the church again? Vision Warriors Church. Vision Warriors, okay. Yep. And so while we legitimately formed as a nonprofit in 2017, I had been providing this level of care in, in, my, in my network and my support for probably almost five years prior to. But we, we didn't start out to say we're going to provide and create an organization that does this, this, and this. It was during the real estate downturn that I had in, in 2010, you know, eight, nine, 10, I had free time on my hands. We had empty properties, right? And so it's like, what, what are we going to do now with my time? And so rather than just serving on boards and writing checks, I had the availability of time and energy and a desire anyhow to meet one-on-one. And we started providing housing that's a faith-based 12-step approach to living life. You know, you, you're, you're clean. Now what? You know, you're, yeah. you're wanting to get back with your wife and your family and be a contributing member of the family. Now what? what? What is your plan? And so Vision Warriors was birthed out of a grassroots desire to serve the next person that needed help with the condition that we're going to give this to you, but you got you to gotta give it away to keep it. And so if you would have told me then that now what we would be doing and to the magnitude that we'd be able to serve and the impact we're having, I would just, would kind of just, I'd laugh you off to be in mm-hmm. it. Honestly, mm-hmm. because that was not, the intention was not to create an organization. The, and can, the, the intention was to just give away personally. That is what's been given to me. And so we provide a safe faith-based community where individuals can seek refuge for the next part of their journey of restoration. And so you've got to be clean. You've got to be able to pass a test, drug and alcohol test to enter, and you've got to stay clean to be able to stay part of the community. Mm, mm. And, and you, 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 you can't be court ordered, not because court ordered guys don't want to get clean. That's not it. That's just, we're not set up for that. Yeah. You know, if you need clinical treatment and clinical aftercare, we're not set up for that. We're, we're, we're a faith community that's to provide transparency, right, and accountability like most have never felt or seen. But if you truly want 
to stay sober, you must be known and you must be willing to be transparent with where you are in your journey and, wh- and what's going on. So, so who, who are the kind of people that you see come uh, and, and how much of it uh, is, again, since we're talking about opiate addiction, how much of it do you see? Yeah. So the interesting thing about addiction, uh, in, my, in my opinion, is that it does not discriminate. Yeah. It, do- it does not care what you look like where you're from, what your beliefs are, how much money you have or how little money you have. Yeah, because our stereotype, it's the down and out person who's really struggling with life. But you and I both know that that's not the case. I mean, I, you know, I live in North Fulton, you know, just north of Atlanta. Um, majority of all of those that we serve are from right here wow. on the north side of town, you know, from our local community and we're serving inside our local mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, we, we basically are the resource for the local church, right? That we're, we're here. We, we don't hold services Sunday morning, not because we don't have a message to share. We share six and a half days a week. And we want, we want our men to re-engage with their community, their families, their friends, and encourage them to get back to their church, their community, mm-hmm. so that they've got that they can share their experience stroke their, they can share their experience strength and hope with others that they've found in their journey and also get ongoing support i would think yeah. as well I mean, I mean that's part of that the preventive after the crisis that you were talking yeah. about like, yeah everything that we have is equipping you to to leave with it because there's nothing that's proprietary that we've got we take we take the the 12 step literature and the bible right and it's, we just, we kind of laugh about it a little bit. It's just, we kind of preach the 12 steps. We don't teach them, we preach them. Mm-hmm. But not just from the front of the room, side by side, walking a man through some of the darkest parts of their life, yeah. dig through where they are, but always being that beacon of hope is that restoration is possible, right? The things that used to baffle you, you know, you, you You'll be amazed. They're they're going to yeah. be believed. You're going to see clarity. You're going to feel love. You're of value. You know that you're you're you know and and that identity, and that vision and purpose for their life. I mean, it's the reason we're vision warriors is because I, I believe with, if you do not have a vision for your life, you're going to perish. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me let me ask you this two, two part question. What what burden? What do you see that burdens you the most, and that what what encourages you the most? From a burden, what are you saying just in the general terms? What or, you see, what you see. The, my personal burden that I see is that us as an organization, a lot of times we're, we're very um, inward focused. We, because of the men that we service and the men are because of the men that we serve and the delicate nature of some that want their anonymity and to remain silent. Interesting. Who they are is yeah. that we're, we're not very outwardly expressive of who we are and what we do. Uh, so the stigma of addiction is real. You know, people, yeah. people don't want to talk about it, but it's true. And, and my, my burden that I most carry the, or you know, really in that is that so many people, not just men, but men and women are trapped in that, that they don't want to be classified that way. They, that they will continue to put up with the pain and frustrations of the addiction that they're living with, 
because it's less fearful than them coming clean, expressing the fact of what they, they need help with that most that are close to them already know they need help with. But is that label that's attached to it? Well, that, that brings up a fascinating point. Um, and, and let me let me insert it here. I shared before we hit record. This is the first time I, I'm publicly talking about this. And I'm, I'm excited to because th- this is a uh, this this is something that I personally have experienced, and I'll, I'll just very quickly uh, give a a summary of it. Uh, I suffer from chronic migraines. I have for years, and in 2012, I or maybe 2011, even before that, I was prescribed pain medicine by my doctor, and it helped. It was very controlled. Um, I was I switched doctors after a couple years, and even suggested to him that I was concerned because of what I read and. Because being a pastor, you see what happens with people. And uh, I asked him if he could help wean me off. He goes, why? It's helping. So he doubled my dosage. <laughs> and um, and that, that got me into a, a – um, so for about three or four years, I, I, was, uh, I, I was really living uh, kind of secretly. I mean, a few people in my family knew I was taking this. It was helping the migraines. It got to a point where it stopped helping the migraines. And, uh, and my body was, was depending on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it wasn't until, and this is, I'd like to, to tap into what you said about the, uh, the desire for some people to, or many maybe, to just, you know, recover privately, which I don't know if that's possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was when my, my family cornered me, and that's maybe a little extreme to put it that way, but there was a moment yeah. uh, where they sat down with me and, and shared their concern. And uh, there was there was weeping. Uh, there were some hard things said on both sides. Other things came up also in this conversation. Uh, the next day, I made an appointment with my doctor, a new doctor in the town where I live, and I told him what was going on. And because uh, I was going out of town to 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 see another doctor, the original doctor that was prescribing this, my doctor locally um, knew about it, but you know he wasn't going to prescribe it for me. But I asked him to help me wean off. And uh, it was a six-month plan. Six months, I kept ha- the half a pill in a bottle with a date uh, to you remember the, the last time I, I took it. But if it hadn't been for intervention, it hadn't been for the, my community, family, um, I could not have managed this alone. Um, so when I hear you talk about guys trying to struggle and manage and, and be sophisticated as a uh, I, again, I, I think it's, uh, there's a difference between being dependent and addicted. Um, I know I was dependent, maybe a year or two away from addiction. Addiction is when you start looking for other stuff. Uh, addiction is when you Google pain medicine, Mexico, or you look for harder stuff, you know, dependence is you take it because your body's depending on it. Uh, it was scary. It was frightening. And, uh, there are times where I wonder, if that had not been for that evening when my family sat down with me, I have a doctor that would have continued prescribing this for me, which is, which is devastating on its own that the industry makes this possible. Um, so yeah, pick up, respect, react to that, respond to that, continue talking yeah, so, about, you know, your, what you're observing with guys. And, and then just this, this, uh, this reality is, can you recover from something like this pri- while maintaining your dignity? It's almost like, like you described, you had to surrender your dignity, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, when you were a college student. Yeah, so I mean, it's at that point. I mean, so if we look at it from the from this standpoint, where I'm at today, 
Right, By so, the way, that felt really good to share my story. Doesn't it? <laughs> it I did. Mean, it's because it's the first time I've shared it. Yeah. It felt I mean, really it's, good. It's free. It's free. <laughs> yes. From that standpoint, it's like what, what has kept you from sharing it beforehand? I, I wanted a couple years to not make sure I was okay. Um, I know you weren't asking literally what, but I'm, I'm answering your question. No, I was asking. Uh, I think, yeah. Okay. Um, I, I think I needed, I, when that happened, I, I, I told my wife, I said, I'm going to wait two years to share this story publicly. And it's a little, it's a little over two years now. I think I just needed time because there is, there is, and this will be helpful to people. There is a, an ongoing psychological um, uh, experience that occurs following particularly opiate addiction. Uh, you can be off it for a year, uh, go to the dentist for a tooth abscess, and know you're going to get medicine, and you're excited that you're getting I had to get past that, you know, um, and, and then just to feel that I had um, maybe respected my family and letting them know, hey, this is the time I'm ready to share this as well. Because this was a sense, for us, it was a very sensitive issue, you know, because mm -hmm. it... Uh, it, it did also bring to surface other things that maybe were under the surface that were, uh, that was healthy to, to finally talk about. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, for me, it was just a personal commitment. I'm going to wait two years to talk about this. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you for sharing that with me. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm ready for it. And I mean, I think that's where it comes in today. You know, I've got the opportunity where I'm serving as my, my the district governor for my rotary district. Right. And when you, and, a lot of folks, when people think about a Rotarian, you know, it's, you know, it's this professional, you know, very buttoned up, sophisticated, you know, businessman or lady that's there. I, I lead with the day that my life changed, right? That he, mm -hmm. here on this day and time, you know, before I share this message, you all think you're going to get today. I want you to know where I've come from and why it's important for me to share that with you, mainly because there may be someone in this room today that's struggling, mm -hmm. right? And if you're struggling, I just want to let you know, there is hope after the destruction and the pain and all that you're stuck in and afraid to deal with, there's hope, right? It is possible to recover, you know, and to be fully restored. And, and, I, and I think, I mean, I mean, I don't think, I know if we sit there and we, and we look at addiction as a whole, there, there's embarrassment, there's ego, there's pride, there's shame, there's remorse, there's all those emotions that keep us from not asking for help. And then it's that stigma that's stuck on you that, oh, it's just Kirk the alcoholic or addict. Mm -hmm. And so rather than looking at that as a weakness, you know, I was told when I started out is that I need to share that with folks every day. Mm -hmm. The reason I need to share it every day is because not only am I helping them, but by blessing somebody, I'm going to actually receive that blessing. But in, in turn is when someone's trying to help me, someone calls and says, hey, I need to do a podcast about this and help you content. I need to say yes, because mm -hmm. that's the only way that you can receive the blessing from what you're, what you're doing for folks. And, and it's that willingness to be able to share and be open. Am I perfect? By no means. Have I made plenty of mistakes over the last 25 years? Yes. List long of them. Just ask my wife or my friends, right? Like, <laughs> I've made them. But none of those have required me to go back. Yeah, yeah, that's the key. Yeah, 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 yeah. For solution. And, you know, and it's different today. You know, when you're talking about the opioid side of things, especially the youth, 
that that are coming through from an you know from a sports injury or something of that to a dentist. There's thousands of people that share the same story that you have. Mm-hmm. Had it, this is where it started. But then, hey, did you realize that heroin's a whole lot cheaper than black market, yeah. you know, pills, right? So it's it's cheaper, far cheaper. Unfortunate, right? So same effect, right? And then by the time you look you look at it, and that's where this the the overdose pandemic, really, if we want to call it, that that has occurred over the last several years is because it's not from 20 plus year, 10 plus year, five plus year heroin addicts that were, that were overdosing at an alarming rate. It was first time users, inexperienced. Yeah. You know, they, they found themselves putting a needle in their arm, but they weren't, they weren't, they weren't the typical heroin user, nor they were led there by that, that chemical and yeah, like, they're desperate. They were desperate. They were yeah. De- yeah. desperate in, in this exposure. And so, you know, it's, when I st- when I started all my journey, I didn't ha- I didn't know anyone that was a heroin addict. Mm-hmm. No, no one around me in my close circle had ever been around opioids or been in in and around heroin. You know, it was a lot. It was a lot of you know more LSD and coke and just different things. And it kind of it, it it ebb and flows still today on on usage. We, we've seen a lot more people coming in that are meth users now that it would have never been stereotyped or it looked as a stereotype of someone that was going to use meth. Yeah. Just as you have those that are using heroin that aren't by nature, if someone thinks of a heroin user or is not by nature there. I know that that sounds. Well, it's, what, it's whatever is accessible to people relative to their susceptibility. You know, exactly. I mean, a lot of people, you can put a needle, you know, heroin in front of them. They'll go, I'm not interested. Someone else, it'll trigger something they'll maybe yeah. try to find a sneaky way back to to acquire mm-hmm. it let me again i'm, I'm maybe stuck on this but it's, i think it's important the yeah. the guy who you've referred to you know generally the, the the kind of person who uh wants to maintain his dignity wants help from you but doesn't want maybe others how what do you do there how do you push them you know if we agree that community because part of the purpose of this podcast is what is the role of community i mean goodness you've formed a church out of this it's become a community of believers uh how do you direct how do you encourage someone to find community as the really the only way to to recover so I personally believe there's three now. And then when I say this, I'm not discounting anybody else's beliefs, mm-hmm. anybody else's clinical need, anybody else's 12 step journey, not, nothing of that. I'm just saying in, in wherever you go and however you navigate your recovery and you live your life, I think three things are crucially important. If you don't have these three things, it's, there's going to be some issues in the, in, in the future. One is that your community you have to have a close knit community that you're relying upon, but it's not just a standard community. It's a community in which you are willing to be transparent and be fully mm-hmm. known. Basically where my card is going to get called on me. If I start staying too shallow and not sharing what's really going on, mm-hmm. and so the community is important. Transparency is important, but you've got to be willing to be held accountable. So if I, I can be transparent, all I want to be, but if, if, if there's no recourse, if there's no call to action or accountability on the backside of it, then really it's no different than talking to someone at the gas station while you're pumping gas. Hey, how was your day? Oh, it's a crappy day. I think I'm going to go get drunk. He looks at you like, okay, well, you got a, you got a problem. Maybe you shouldn't. But there's no, there's no 
follow-up. There's no accountability. There's no living life together. So, so as part of that, do you ever say to a guy, if, if you continue this and you're living it secretly, we need to go together to talk to your family about this. Your, your family, a friend, someone Somebody. where we're not designed like our, our, our father, he did not design us to be, to do life by ourselves. He just, he, you, you know, mean like, like the six months of COVID? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's, I mean, that in itself, you want to see oh, something yeah. destructive. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, not a laughing matter. Yeah, actually. A lot yeah. of people have been susceptible to we're not drugs and alcohol during this time. We're not to be in isolation. Yeah. And that is exactly where addiction puts us. Wow. We, may, we may go out there and we may be the life at a party when you're drunk. But as soon as that wears off, we're as miserable and you just want to die. Right? So have you seen more, have you seen more of this during COVID or maybe, maybe you're anticipating following COVID, there'll be a, a higher rate? Yeah. So I think nationally, if you look, uh, suicides, yeah. um, overla- uh, overdose, relapse, it, is, it has been increasingly alarming. We, we have been on as intentional as we can be with those that we serve. You know, I'm fortunate we have a ton of volunteers that are committed to continue to give away what they've been given. And we're inwardly focused and we're, we're a bottom-up organization. The last guy that comes through our door that's voted into membership has as much authority as I have or any other executive of our organization has inside the community. And so mm-hmm. that accountability and that brotherhood, that, that fraternal sense of belonging to something when when you haven't had value you thought beforehand to where the addiction had taken you um, is, is, is irreplaceable. Yeah. In, 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 so you're anticipating that there's, there could be. Oh, it's, a, a, it's, it's no anticipation. Yeah. If you look across the board. Yeah. Wow. We, we've been, we've been extremely, extremely blessed to not have as much turbulence as others, but we have experienced yeah. great grave. Well, it could be, it could be, there's a delay that, uh, you know, after a, things, I, you know, it's, um, it, I mean, this is part of what I, I would encourage churches to also understand. I'd like to talk about this in just a few minutes that, uh, uh, w- you know, this has been a hard time for a lot of people. A lot of people are not coming back to church. How many of those people who are not coming back to church have, have fallen prey susceptible to patterns, habits, addictions that maybe they would not have otherwise. And that, so part of our shepherding needs to be an awareness of that. Um, you know, by the way, I joked earlier that I have two listeners and one of them is OCD. So you started talking about three things important for recovery. Uh, you talked about community. What are the other two? Accountability. Okay. That was the second one. Okay. Transparency. Okay. Those were three separate points. Okay. Okay. What, um, what does the church not understand about the severity of addiction? So because again, in every, in any crowd of a hundred, 200, 300 people, they're there. there's going to be one out of four yep. who are struggling with this. Yeah. So here's the reason. Um, I'm, I'm trying to make sure that I frame it and say it so that we don't cause any strife with anybody. Um, I mean, if, I, if I'm being, you know, a hundred percent completely, you know, just transparent with you. Um, well, that was, that was point number two. So yep. or three, so uh, go for I mean it. There <laughs> is that I, I, our ministry finds itself currently in a federal lawsuit mm. and, and basically where 
our whole ideology and our way that we minister to the men and their families that we serve, basically saying that we're not a church. You know, mm. we're, we're not doing the things that we are called to do. And, 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 and to me, that is extremely disturbing. Yeah. That the ideology of what the church should be doing is so far removed. Yeah. From what Interesting. Called us to do. Wow. That I'm, I'm, I'm literally sitting in the middle of a federal lawsuit after we've been given permission to be there and then to be told afterwards, it's like, no, you need to leave because that's, you're not doing what you said you were going to do. Mm-hmm. And, and I can't get angry with that, right? That, yeah. That's not my job to get angry, but I think that's the state in which we are is, you know, pastor gets up on the stage on Sunday morning and delivers a sermon and, and preaches just to a subset of his congregation that's struggling with addiction it isolates everyone else in the room. Yeah. It, so it's, yeah, you can share a message one week and, and talk through it, but you can't do it every day, every time in all your messaging. And so we're, where we look at, I think it's the, the church to realize, and, and I don't want this to diminish the, the power of Christ and the grace and the love that he gives us. But if I'm by myself and I sit with the pastor and we pray through it, we work through it, and God lifts the obsession for me, and I'm reunited and reconnected to my Father in heaven, and I feel renewed in that. Left to my own accord and left to my own wisdom and my own strength without the support of others. You'll, you'll I, fall back into it. I'll fall yeah. back to it every time, and that's where I keep getting ridiculed because I just say it's like Christ alone cannot heal. Yeah, yeah. well, that was you, – you, you – you reference that in your testimony, how you came to Christ and connected to people. And, you know, I, I often say that the way Jesus works is through us. You know, if he, yeah. if he's going to help you, he's likely going to help you through, through someone else. Yeah. Um, that's the, why it's called the body of Christ. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, one of, one of the philosophies I have, I've had pastoring, I'm currently not pastoring, but when I did, uh, in fact, I do this now when I'm counseling people, uh, is that if they're particularly with addiction, if I'm working with them, you know, in the privacy of an office, at some point, I want to connect them with several other people that that can help them. That's the church. That's the community. Mm-hmm. So even when I was pastoring, I would have several people, you know, maybe in this case, who had recovered from alcoholism or addiction to be on standby. And I said, hey, this is I just need you because I am going to get people who are going to come talk to me. Yeah. about these things. And, and I'd like for you to be available if it's marriage counseling, a couple that maybe have re, you know, their God's done a miracle in their marriage and they're available to help another couple, someone who's recovered from pornography, same thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I agree. I mean, that we're, it's, it's really, it's hard to answer that question. What does the church need to do or and, and not I think understand? The, yeah. I mean, I, I think the biggest thing for the church though, in that, in that context, Mm-hmm. The, the biggest thing for the church and those, when I say the church, I'm not talking just the organization or the church, build, yeah. the, not just the building, but I'm talking of the membership and all those that are, that are there to value and or, or to, to, to take the time to understand and value the recovery network and community that's present where they live. So that, because to me is that, the, the body of Christ moving through the struggles of life together uh-huh. and being willing to share what you may not share on a Sunday morning Bible study, you know, is you don't want your neighbor to know that, but in the privacy and the protection and anonymity 
that you can find in fellowship of those that have similar struggles in your local community. You, you can and receive the strength that you need from believers and from the church, but it just, you can't do it from the pew. Yeah. It's, it's really hard to do it. Yeah. And I, I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. So, um, I, I, you know, the time we've talked here, I've, uh, I've heard you, you know, reference, uh, you know, your dependence on Christ and, and the importance of the body. Uh, how, how does the gospel drive what you do? What's, what's the bottom line here? What are you, what's the outcome? I mean, it's more, I remember when I was working on my master's, uh, there, there was the, you know, this notion that you can, you can stop drinking, but still, you know, still, you know, be a sinner. Uh, so you're no longer an alcoholic. You're, you know, you stop doing drugs, you know, so you've, you've sort of stopped the bleeding in one area. What's your deep longing? What, what's the drive of the gospel here for you? Yeah. So, so two, two points. I got, I got one statement to share and then one story. Mm -hmm. So to me, at the end of the day, we are not a conversion ministry, mm -hmm. right? All right. If you, if you look at our mission, mission statement, is that our whole, our whole purpose is to ignite the warrior inside of men, right? So the, to give them the belief and the desire to fight for something that God has in store for them mm -hmm. so that we can return them home, right? To be a better disciple, a better father, a better husband, a better nice. community member, mm -hmm. right? Is that just to play a small part in there and that we offer something that is attractive, that when you meet me, or, and, or meet someone else on staff, that there's something that you identify in that person that has overcome this and you want what they have. Rather than, than making you sit there and listen and tell you, it's that attraction and draw to. And when we do that, we end up with something like this, which your, your viewers won't be able to see it on online, but offline, I, I, uh, I want you to send me all your... It's, it's, a, let, it's a letter T. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. a cross. <laughs> so if you look at this cross, nice. you know, one side of it is rough, yeah. and, and, and one side of it is really smooth. Yeah, I like that. Wow. And, and so as an organization, we didn't say our wood shop is going to start making crosses. This is fall off wood from other projects that they do. But what I want to do is I want to I send you one of those in this, in this letter. There again, when this letter was given to me, it was given to us by our woodshop uh, guy that spends a lot of time in there because that's where he finds peace and joy, right? Mm. And he wrote me a letter one day here and said, hey, he knew we were giving these out to people because he started making them. We had hundreds of them laying around. So anytime someone visits or someone donates to us, we, we try to give them this cross. And he wrote this never to think that it would really be shared or if it was that it would be rewritten, right? Because there's all it's scratches and all that. Mm -hmm. But the reason yeah. this is laminated is because this is the very copy. We make a copy of this and send it. So, you know, it's not something that we've created organizationally. It's a byproduct of something that's been created because someone was drawn to who we are, sought through his time there and still there to gain that of which drew him to it. And I think that's what I'm called to do is to share my life. And I hope that I found through the way that I live, not by what I say. Mm -hmm. And so this letter is from David and he says, thank you. If you have received one of these very special crosses, you have helped one and all of us. 
the Vision Warriors Cross is handcrafted from the ugliest wood we can find. The outer layers of the ugly are stripped away to reveal the beauty inside. As warriors, we have and continue to struggle with the disease of addiction. We must shed our old selves, strip away the ugly, and reveal the beauty inside. These crosses are not for display. They are powerful prayer tools to be used daily. We hope that you will feel the power in the cross and the strength and beauty inside yourself as you hold the symbol of Jesus Christ in your hands as you pray. Thank you from all the vision warriors. Please remember us in your prayers. God bless. Now, that's why I do Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Nice. That's yeah. That's wonderful. If he ever drinks again or uses again, I have no control over that. Yeah. But yeah. to know that he has experienced the love and grace of Jesus mm -hmm. Christ without it ever being a requirement to enter our doors is why we are where we are and do what we do. Well, I asked you earlier what burdens you, and, and I, I was asking also what encourages you. Uh, mm -hmm. Let's wrap up with that. What do you, what do you see so, as the outcome of, this, of what you do that just excites you and keeps you, keeps you yeah. moving forward to do it? The thing that keeps me moving daily, because what we do, there's burdens associated and pains, and it, yeah. addiction is, is painful, right, for all of us. But when you can unite a man and woman together in marriage, right, and I've had the ability to do that. I've got another ceremony coming up where it's a man that has lived with us and transitioned mm -hmm. to where you unite them is unbelievable to, mm -hmm. to see a father return yeah. home, wow. to actually be a father, not just be in the house, but be present and aware in the house, you know, to, to build a, an army of warriors that are out on the streets, sharing their experience and strength and hope that they found in the freedom from the lies and bondage bondages of addiction. I mean, it's what better thing can, what better thing could I do? I mean, it's, yeah. God yeah. gave me God gave me a pain that that I that I bared, and then I had the opportunity either rejoice in that with him and praise the release of that daily by serving others by being and it actually being served, or just sit there and be miserable. Yeah, well, that's what uh, I think Brennan Manning calls the wounded healer. Uh, you know, you've you've experienced this and you've you've given your life back to Christ so that he can use your experience, which is again, the purpose of this podcast comes as I shared earlier, yeah. uh, somewhat from my own experience. Uh, some, speak to someone in closing here who, who's struggling with addiction and has spoken to no one about it. To that, to the person that, and is this a standard viewer or is this a pastor or who is this? Who, who, uh, Let's, let's say it's a pastor. <laughs> so there's a lot at stake. Yeah. So if, if I'm speaking to those that are ministering to and providing hope and support to those in their congregation or their community, I want to let you know, first off, that you have at least one person now that you know, which is me, that you can call me and have a conversation that will be held in utmost strict confidence. That, that, that there is one person that you know. And, and my guarantee for you is the release of that, of sharing that with at least one person can yeah, set yeah. down 
it a does. plan and a process to where I can then help you connect to the and, next. And there's even a relief in speaking to there, one there, person about uh, it. Yeah, the, the relief to just to be able to share it. And that's where we say community accountability and transparency. Mm-hmm. To be transparent and be fully known by another human being is the most freeing thing where yeah. nothing hidden because the very secret that you keep that you feel is too dirty to share with anybody is the thing that will keep you going back to the mm-hmm. situation that you currently find yourself in. But if you are fully willing to surrender everything at the foot of the cross and be fully transparent with another person to help you walk through that burden together, there is hope, there is restoration, and there is joy on the other side of the pain that you're in. Because I was where you are currently today. And I pray that you, you reach that point where the pain of your current situation is enough to push you to that point to be where willing to no longer bear that by yourself. Mm-hmm. And you probably have found that no one has ever been rejected when they've done that. Yes. You may, in may fact, be, it's the opposite, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. why I do what I do to, yeah. to free someone from, and or not me, who is it? to be a part of mm-hmm. someone being freed from the lies of addiction and the lies of the past and all that emotion is why I do what I do every day because there is yeah. no greater joy than helping someone be set free. It's not I love to it. help you finish the race, but man, I just want to help you just start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this is man. Thank you for sharing your, your life and your story. And I'm, I'm excited to put this out. This is a, a particularly, uh, you know, special podcast for me, given my own experience, but it's also, there's a bird in there. I see a lot of people and particularly, particularly with the COVID season, we, we keep hearing of how, oh, how right. rampant this is. So we hope that this really uh, is, is shared a lot by churches and pastors and I'll put your contact information as well on our website, Kirk. And yeah, uh, we really appreciate you taking yeah. the time. Any, any final thoughts before we wrap up? Yeah, so, I mean, it's just one thing there and you mm. got to share this on the, the, the podcast or not, but if there's a church that's interested in me coming to speak and sharing a message, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm more than happy. And my wife always makes sure before I speak at a church, and deliver a message that she's like, no, you better not be cussing in that because I, I <laughs> exactly where I'm at. And so um, I, I can deliver a message extremely relevant, and I really want more opportunities to, to breathe life and hope into congregations. Good, good. Well, we'll we, people are hearing that now as they're listening to this. I'm picturing your wife there with a bleep horn. Oh, yeah, yeah, without a doubt. But it's, we meet them where they are. Yeah. Um, and so at the other point of that is they have an interest of being able to provide a vision warrior community in the, in, in the areas where they are currently serving. Then that's the, the faith partnership and alliances with local churches is one of our biggest deciding factors, whether yeah, that's huge or another community. So yeah. if they have a need and they want to figure out how to do it, we are more than happy to come in and partner with them to serve the men um, and families in their community. Cause that, that's why Excellent. we're here. Excellent. Very good. Well, thank Kirk. Thanks so much. This was excellent. Really appreciate it. Thank you. You have a wonderful day. If you need that, give me a call, please. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Before You Quit podcast. If you have any comments or questions about anything that we've talked about today, 
You can email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. You can also go to our website, www.beforeyouquit.us, and we are up to like 67, 68 different podcasts there and a number of blogs that I've written. Uh, in fact, I recently wrote a blog that you'll find up there probably by now on uh, pastoring after COVID and just the struggles that pastors are having. And uh, so go, go to my website, check those out. Uh, so until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged. Stay encouraged.